welcome you all to have a seat again, grab your snacks, grab your coffee, and grab your seat. Well, my name is Bill, and I am glad to get to read the scripture today. Uh, our scripture today comes from Genesis 17, verses 1 through 16. This is God's covenant with Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk with me and be trustworthy. I will make a covenant between us, and I will give you many, many descendants. Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, But me, my covenant is with you. You will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce nations from you, and kings will come from you. I will set up for my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. I will be your God and your descendants' God after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan, as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants in every generation. This is my covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Circumcise every male. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a symbol of the covenant between us. On the eighth day after birth, every male in every generation must be circumcised, including those who are not your own children, those born in your household and those purchased with silver from foreigners. Be sure you circumcise those born in your household and those purchased with your silver. Your flesh will embody my covenant as an enduring covenant. Any uncircumcised male whose flesh of his foreskin remains uncircumcised will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will now be Sarah. I will bless her and even give you a son from her. I will bless her so that she will become nations and kings of people will come from her. It's the, Lord, the word of the Lord. feel like I'm wearing high heels. <laughs> um, I wanted to have a discussion around nicknames. How many of you have a nickname that you'd like to share with the rest of us? Please let it be clean and appropriate. <laughs> Mim. That's awesome. Uh, my middle name is Anne, and so growing up, my mom made me, but like my family called me Ariane, because my mom went by Carol Ann, and so she wanted to like have some sort of similar nickname for me. So. <laughs> Jovial Bison. 
please elaborate. <laughs> Tell us the story. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, my nickname in high school was Simboy because my last name is Sim. And uh, I don't know, someone just, uh, my wrestling team just added boy at the end because I was like the lightest, smallest guy. And so Simboy. And it just kind of stuck, and everyone called me that. Um, and then uh, when I was working as a campus minister at UW, Karina actually called me D-Sai all the time, so that stuck. Uh, maybe we'll bring that back because we have multiple Davids, so we can go D-Sai and Dino, and uh, we'll be good. Then we won't have confusion, but we have nicknames, um, and our family members or our close friends usually are the people who call us by our nicknames or pet names or whatever, or if there's a husband and wife or a boyfriend and girlfriend, they might call each other by, you know, little sweet nicknames um, like honey or rabbit paws or I don't know. <laughs> and nicknames are there because they kind of tell us that there's an intimate relationship, right? when it's an inside relationship, it's, an in, it's a name that's used on the inside that uh, reflects intimacy in the relationship. Whether it's a team, you're a bunch of teammates, you're close because you're, you have this common purpose, you're playing a game, um, and they call you by a nickname, it's endearing. You know, uh, Outside people wouldn't necessarily call you by that nickname. Um, a husband may call uh, his wife, my Pisces queen, like in Jerry Maguire. Right, but I wouldn't come along uh, to that woman and say and call her Pisces Queen right after that. Right, that'd be like, no, that's just something that my husband calls me. That's the inner name, right? That's her nickname. Um, I would get slapped, right? <laughs> and so, nicknames or names, uh, second names, names that are given to us are given to us because uh, there's a relationship. There's an inside relationship. There's an intimate family type relationship or a bond um, that a person who's in that relationship with us or people call us by that name um, as an endearing term. And uh, here in our passage, uh, God renames two people. He renames Abram, Abraham, and he renames Sarai, Sarah. And when God names people, and I think I've said this before, we need to pay attention because that is like God's nickname to that person. And those names in scripture, throughout scripture, usually have meaning, usually have depth. And God is calling that person by a new name because it reflects, like I said, like in the, uh, in the sense of a nickname, an intimate relationship, an inside relationship. Uh, in Genesis 17, God is reiterating his promises, his covenant with Abraham and Sarah. And so, um, and they've had a little bit of bumps in the road, right? Um, and by bumps, I mean 24 years of, is this going to happen? Right? So 
if Abraham's, Abraham's initial call was in chapter 12 of Genesis, here in chapter 17, it's been 24 years since that first call. God calls Abraham, go leave your family to a land that I will show you and I'll make you into a great nation and you will be a blessing to other nations. Um, but it's been 24 years. And last week we've seen what distrust and is this really going to happen, God? Because we're getting old here and kind of taking, uh, taking control of the situation, taking thing, matters into your own hand. Both Abraham and Sarah uh, attempt to take matters into their own hands, right? Because rightly so, understandably so, things aren't happening. They're getting old. They don't have an heir. How is God going to make multiply us? How are we going to have children? How are we going to be built into this, these nations um, when we haven't even had a child yet? And so we have this whole drama um, where Sarah offers Hagar, her, her maidservant, to um, Abraham to bear him a, a son. And the other thing that we learned is God is gracious. He's so gracious and magnanimous that even when it's our mistake and we cause the mess, God takes responsibility for the mess and makes beauty out of the mess. So in the case of Hagar, it was Sarai's idea in the first place, right? To give her to Abraham to have a, this child, right? But it's God who finds Hagar, right? And calls to her in the wilderness by the spring and says, I see you, I hear you, I, I care about you. And my promises and my blessings are for you as well. And God makes right by Hagar. And Hagar names God, calls God, right? He sees me. He sees me. And so... God takes our messes and makes, takes responsibility for them and actually makes good things out of our messes. And we see, we've seen this in Genesis, right? Uh, God making clothing for Adam and Eve, right? It was Adam and Eve who disobeyed and were ashamed for being naked. But God, okay, I'll make you, these leaves aren't going to work. I'll make clothing for you. So we see a God who kind of goes above and beyond takes the extra mile um, to extend grace, to recover, to redeem, to, the, to make the best out of a certain situation, out of a bad situation. Um, and God, uh, in, this, in these 24 years, God has appeared here and there, and we see in chapter 15, 16, uh, to reiterate the promise, to reiterate uh, his covenant to Abraham. But in this chapter, we see something new, right? And the new thing is that he renames Abraham, um, which means father of many nations, right? Father of many, from Abram, which is mighty father. So he's gone from mighty, <laughs> Abram's gone from mighty father to father of many. And, and I, I can imagine Abraham being like, oh, you're just pouring salt into the womb, right? You're just saying, I'm childless. I'm now near a hundred, uh, near a century year old, 99 years old, and you're saying, I'm going to be a father of many. Yeah, right, right? I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, kind of thing. Um, 
but he renames them and he reiterates this covenant. But me, my covenant is with you, right? You will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. Don't worry. I hear you. Trust me. And, and so that you will trust me, or as a symbol or a reflection of this relationship, this intimate relationship, let me rename you. Let me name you this. Um, and this name will reiterate, will reconfirm um, our covenant and will reconfirm your very calling, right? That you, in your name, your name itself means the covenant, right? Your name itself means you are the fa- will be the father of many, right? You are the father of many. And um, how many of you have felt that God has named you or given you a name or you've asked God to give you a new name or you, maybe you have a name from God. Anyone? Anyone? No? Is that too, too weird? I knew it. I knew Christine. <laughs> you got the charisma going here. Um, yeah, back in college, um, someone was, I think, preaching. I was at a conference and talking about how God gives people new names. If you look in scripture, God gives people new names. Jesus uh, renames Peter. Uh, Saul is renamed to Paul. And, and so I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I, I want a new name too, right? So I, I decided to pray and I grabbed my small group leaders and, and we said, hey, I want a new name. I want a new name because something I don't feel right inside. I need a little more confidence. I need... Um, something, um, I need vision in my life, right? And so we prayed, and people were like, do you hear anything? Is God saying anything to you? I'm like, no, I don't hear anything. And uh, then finally, I don't know if I heard it or this person heard it. I I, I don't remember the story, but um, someone was like, I hear uh, the word confidence. Right, and then another person confirmed it like confidence. I was like, confidence. And as soon as that was said, a lot of things fell into place. Right, that was going on in my heart, in my life, in my test of my own testimony. Like, oh, this is a time that uh, a time where I'm insecure or worried about my voice, or worried about my leadership, or worried about um, if I have enough. God is saying, I call you confidence, right? And that was the new name. And um, if you haven't done that, I encourage you, like, pray for a name. Uh, Pray for uh, God to call you by something. But here, God calls Abram a new name, Abraham. And that new naming is an external thing. The name is an external thing that reflects a new internal reality, right? An external thing uh, that reflects a rea- the spiritual and internal, internal reality of God is a faithful God. God is a God who initiates. God is a God who sees and hears and cares about things, 
right? And God desires an intimate relationship. So um, where Hagar names God, right? He is a God who sees. The very next chapter, here in 17, God says, I am El Shaddai. He names himself in addressing Abraham. And I think that's amazing. I think God was like, hey, Hagar had a pretty good idea, right? She named me the God who sees. I'm going to name myself for Abram, right? And I'm going to rename Abraham just to be like, right? Me and Casey are like blood brothers. So I'm going to call him Movember, right? Because of his beard. And he's going to call me Peach Fuzz. So he'll be Movember and I'll be Peach Fuzz. Movember and Peach Fuzz. Movember and Peach Fuzz, right? And we'll have, and people on the outside of that will be like, what in the world is going on there? But we'll know. We'll have this connection. And I think that's what's happening here is God is reaffirming this connection, right? You've had a rough time, right? And the road is bumpy. And I just want to remind you who I am. And I also want to tell you who you are in relation to, to me. Are you guys with me? Then he goes off on the circumcision thing, right? This is a covenant. This is Abraham's covenant with God. It's the covenant of circumcision. And basically, this is where God kind of sets up, you know, every male needs to be circumcised. Um, and this shows that you are my people. It's a ritual act, a very physical act. Um, and, I mean, naturally, there's a connection with the reproductive act, right? If part of the, part of the covenant is about producing nations from you, and that's the question, right? Um, the fact that the sexual male sexual organ is cut, right, and kind of given over to God um, is saying that God is in control or a part, right? This, this part of life, this part of the community is given over to God. And you may ask, well, what about women, right? So I thought about this. Oh, is this uh, what do I do, right? Contextually, what do I do with this? Is it, is it just a male thing, a guy thing? And now I was like, wait a second, right? Women's bodies already change, right? When women are pregnant or when they have children, their bodies change, they get pregnant, right? They can't uh, control the external kind of the visual, external, physical changes that come with pregnancy and then having a child, right? It's just a part of that whole reproductive process. So, uh, so then it's like, what is it for the male, right? What is it for the male? What external uh, ritual or physical kind of act is there to kind of represent this covenant making? of fruitfulness, of putting our trust in God to make us fruitful and to multiply and be fertile. Are you guys with me? That's, that's just my thinking. Um, but we see here that, again, just like a nickname, the outside reflects an internal relationship. Circumcision is a ritual that God puts to reflect the, 
the covenant relationship. It's an outside ritual. It's an outward mark that reflects an inward identity. It's like a name, uh, the renaming of Abraham is an outward name that reflects an inward identity. And our acts of worship as church, as the body of Christ, we have outward rituals, we have outward worship that reflect to whom we belong, that reflect our identity as the people of God, as children of God, right? So if you wonder, why do we sing? Why do we give offering? Why do we take communion? Why do we do these things? Uh, the sacraments themselves, as Augustine says, is the outward, right? Outward expressions of an inward grace or reality, right? So the outward thing isn't the thing, isn't God itself, isn't the thing that we idolize and worship. It's the outward thing is an expression of something that God is doing inside us, something that's identifying us with God, is relating us with God. Um, so this act of circumcision is God's uh, way of saying, this is gonna seal our covenant. This is setting us apart from other nations, right? This is setting us apart. And literally, I think every male will feel and know, like, they're like, thanks, Abraham, right? You made this executive decision for us, right? And everyone, right? The boys were crying that night. Um, <clears throat> God claims the sexual agency of Abraham and Sarah. Um, just as a woman's body changes, so too does a man's body change and is given over to God. God reiterates over and over his relationship with his people. And God is wanting to reiterate with us over and over his relationship with us, that I care about you, that I see you, that I hear you. And there may be bumps on the road and things are hard and difficult, and, uh, but I'm here and I'm calling you by name. And you may not feel like, oh, I'm, I'm much of anything, right? I'm not gifted, right? I'm not living my life the way I should, I'm not following God the way I should, things aren't working out the way that they should go, but God is calling you. He's calling you by name. What is that name? To what is he calling you? And he's calling us to live into that um, God claims and then he names right? God claims us and then he names his people and this is an act of deep intimacy and identity giving names call us out to live with vision to live into that name so God says uh, in 15 to Abraham, as for your wife Sarah, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and even give you a son from her. I will bless her so that she will become nations and kings of people will come from her. Kings of people will come from you. And I, I don't even have the words to describe 
maybe to step into that context, to step into Sarah's shoes, to know what she may be feeling or where, how she's identifying, like what it's like for her to not have born a child for her husband in those days, or what, what she's feeling to have her maidservant have this heir, male heir from her own husband, right? what she's experiencing. But God knows, right? and God gives her a name, and he says, I will bless her, right? even with a son. Right? I will bless her so that she will become nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. Right? God knows, the thing, knows what it is. Right? Um, after this, right, both Abraham... Abraham laughs, and Sarah, in another chapter, laughs. And it's kind of the scoffing laugh, and that's a whole other story. But the ways that we laugh, right, when God tells us something incredulous, right? No way, right? And we laugh, ha, 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 right? But God knows, right? And, and we're continually challenged uh, to trust, to trust, to trust. The other thing that uh, was really meaningful for me in this passage uh, was this, this part about being immigrants, being strangers in a new land, that God points out that, um, I'm trying to find the verse here really quick, verse 8, I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are, uh, which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan, as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. Right? This whole idea, and it's throughout Scripture, about God's heart for the stranger, the alien, God's heart for the immigrant. And there's something about their identity as immigrants that speaks, uh, about, speaks the heart of God, if that makes sense. Right? So when we're talking about the people of God and Scripture, they're not... A people of power, right? They were a wandering people, right? They were us, an enslaved people. Um, in Exodus, they came out of Exodus, uh, out of Egypt as slaves. Um, and in this context, with Abraham, they're wandering a strange land uh, as immigrants. And God saying, right, this to you I will bless you, right? And I think a little bit, like my friends and I, I have an Iranian friend, a Korean-American friend, uh, and myself. We grew up, um, we grew up uh, in high school, going to high school together. Young, you know, Young and David and Amy. And, uh, you know, we were like the minorities in the AP classes and stuff. We were like the minority posse. Uh, and uh, we rolled around like that, and we're, we're still friends now. Uh, but we always have this, have these jokes. Like when we went boating, and caught Dungeness crab, we cooked the crab right there on the back of the boat. Right? We boiled it in water, and we brought like gochujang and like all these, you know, Asian spices. And we're like, this is the immigrant experience, right? Right? We only like we all understand this because we grew up with parents we were embarrassed by, right? Like we don't want to show our parents in public because they do strange things. We don't want to bring 
kids to our homes and look in our refrigerators because there's weird spices and smells that come out of it, right? You know what I'm talking about if you had the ex- immigrant experience, right? And so we're like, we're cooking these crab because this is the immigrant experience, right? And uh, it's the second generation immigrant experience. And, but I understand this piece of, and I think many people can understand that piece of God promising something um, that isn't there or isn't there yet, but it's, it's a dream, it's a pursuit, it's, it's a longing, um, it's the hopes of parents, right? Bringing, moving to a strange place and pouring all of their, you know, hope into their children. Um, it's the strictness of my parents, like, study! You better study all night, right? Because it just reflects that, the pouring of hope. Does that make sense? And uh, so this, that part of this passage resonates with me. Like, you are strangers in a strange land, but I am going to bless you. Right? You have a place. You have a home. Right? In Isaiah, there's another scripture in Isaiah, which I love reading in conjunction with Acts 8, right? When Philip um, speaks, evangelizes, witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch, right? And the Isaiah passage, immediately following the Isaiah passage he quotes uh, to the eunuch, reads like, and to the eunuch I say, you are no longer a dry tree, but I give you a blessing of better than sons and daughters, right? Just that thirst, that thirst, God sees that thirst and that longing and says, I, you know, I see that. And I want to give you goodness. And as the church, as a community of faith and the people of God, we need to come into touch with that. Like in the covenant church, we like to say we were an immigrant church in the States. And we, the reason that we have a heart for justice, have a heart for multicultural ministry and racial reconciliation and women in ministry and all of these things is because of our immigrant experience. We are the immigrant church, right? Swedish immigrant church. <laughs> um, Mim is our like <laughs> the true connection to um, <laughs> but um, to come in to, to have a sensitivity and be in touch with our strangeness with being outside, right? With being underneath, right? Um, or marginalized. That, that in there is the heart of God. And um, I think that's really, really important. Um, because I think Christianity, in a sense, has flipped the script. Because, I won't go into history, but anyway. We flipped the script, right? And it's become Christian dome, right? Where Christianity is viewed by most people as, oh, you were the power that needs to be overthrown, right? Because we took the, the position of privilege and power. Um, but I think God's heart is, and these stories will tell, right, is with 
the wanderer, is with the stranger, is with the immigrant. Um, I didn't expect to go in that direction, but if there are places in your life that you feel like, where is God? Or God has abandoned me, right? What is God doing? It's been how many years now? And I'm still stuck in this rut. And I don't even believe if, I don't know if I believe in God's promises at all, right? Maybe I believe God is real, but does God care about me? Maybe I, I believe that God loves me and cares about me, right? But does he want good things for me, right? Maybe he wants good things for me, but, right? Good things are like painful things. <laughs> I don't know what it is for you, but we've all felt abandoned. We've all felt a need to be recharged, right? And um, I think this week is a hard week for many people, um, starting with Tuesday night and into early Wednesday, um, just because there's so much energy and hope and passion that goes into right, the electing of a president of the nation. And I think this particular election itself was very charged, right? Because there's so much division in our country and so much kind of differences between right and left or blue and red um, that it's almost like, is this the same America, <laughs> right? Like, how can you think that? Uh, I'm just going to go on a, a little bit. Um, my best friend in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, hopefully he doesn't. We grew up together. We were best friends. We were inseparable. We had our little calls to each other when we played army out in the woods. We'd go, ah, right, when we're doing war with other people. And he'd respond with, ah, right? Only we knew it. But of course, that's easy. Like, people knew what it was. <laughs> that is not a bird, right? We were best friends. I would, he's one of those neighbors that his mom was so nice. Right? She saw I had torn up shoes, she would buy me new shoes. Right? And I didn't even knock on their door. I would just walk in and just open their fridge. It's, maybe that's Texas. I don't know. Maybe it's... But anyways, but uh, this week, you know, a lot of stuff is going back and forth on Facebook. And those things that I take for granted, like, man, of course, no one would vote for this person, right? Or no one would think this, right? And I go, and he just makes a, you know, comment back to me on my brother's Facebook page. And my brother ended up, like, taking down the comments and stuff. It just went nuts. It just blew up, right? And I go on his Facebook page, and I'm like, wow. Like, how could our lives have gone, right, just so differently? You know, and I lived there, and we were best friends. Like, how could that have been? How, it's just a, you're American, right? Like, this world is so different. Or Christianity itself, like the evangelical right and the progressive left. It's like, whoa, man, you're Christian? Like, what? Right, do you read the Bible? And the other side's like, do you read the Bible? Right? Uh, I read the Bible correctly. Um, <laughs> all of this. And it's just, it's stressful, right? And I felt, I, I spent a lot of time feeling depressed this week. Just because, um, one, I was fearful. 
just because of who I am and fearful for the people that I care about and love and fearful for my country. Just not knowing. I mean, there's not a, just not knowing what's going to happen. But also depressed because, wow, like we are so divided, you know? And where is the hope of our world? You know, where is the hope for our country? Who will love the stranger? Who will love those who are unheard? And I think the church is in the very position to be the prophetic voice in our world, in our country. Like we are, you know, and I think in a lot of ways we've abdicated the things of the kingdom to like whatever social things. Um, But we need to be the welcomers. We need to be the visitors of the sick. We need to be those that have hospitality because we need to remember that we were strangers in this land. We need to come up, come in touch with not Christendom, we're powerful, but oh, we are a minority group, right? That needs to speak into change into the world. Amen? Um, God is calling us by a new name, and that's confidence, and that's love, people of love, people of peace people of reconciliation, right? people of hope, people that lift up other people, and people that can bridge the divides right? and step in courageously. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the names that you call us by and for your covenant with us, the promises you continue to keep and the new promises that you make uh, over and beyond uh, all of our expectations. And I pray that you will continue to show yourself strong and faithful um, even when we don't see it even when um, as in now the reality of our nation being torn and many 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 people um, who feel death while other people are celebrating that's just such a hard thing to um, to juggle and so I pray that your wisdom and your spirit would go out and that you would use us as ambassadors, as prophets, as speakers of peace, as people who will speak for the dead and speak life into communities and neighborhoods. Help us to be witnesses uh, with a testimony of your good news. In your name, amen.